everybody, welcome back to the MoWo Show. My name is Ryan Bialik, one of the hosts. We've got a great show lined up. We're throwing a wake for Internet Explorer, our good old friend. Uh, we're going to take a look at building custom apps versus using off-the-shelf apps. And Feature versus Feature makes its return. We'll recap the score or the results from last week and put two more features on the face-off block. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the MoWo Show. And just like that, we're back, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ryan Bialik, as joined as always, my co-pilot in chaos, my co-pilot in the cloud, Alex Henry. Alex, how are you doing? Terrific. The chaos today being my internet connection. Fingers crossed it stays okay. Uh, so if I disappear on you randomly or start sh shorting out, um, just, you know, hold a candle up for me. <laughs> Wired networks are for sissies. Bring on the right. Wi-Fi. <laughs> I mean, sometimes it just seems to work better for no apparent reason. So we'll see how this goes. Uh, how are you today, Mr. Ryan? Doing, doing quite well. Uh, busy week. It's middle of the week already. Hard to believe. Uh, I wish there was more days. My intentions to invent uh, MERS Day not been so successful yet to get us to the eight-day week. Well, you hand up that petition. I will definitely uh, forward that email along. Don't worry. There we go. Yeah. My All facts. <laughs> there we go. How about, how about yourself? What have you been working on? What have I been working on? I've been doing a lot of kind of learning around, um, well, file structures, databases. Uh, but you know, last week, I started dipping into something I thought was a little more interesting. And this is kind of going back to SharePoint as a tool. Um, but mainly as um, I started making this concept FAQ site or page. And this kind of came to thought when I was doing some reading on knowledge bases. And a common application for knowledge bases is uh, to have FAQs, frequently asked questions. So um, this is something I thought could be useful in basically every single department, it's every single organizational wide internet is to have a page, a place where all these questions kind of be combined and kind of merged together. So you think about this from a department standpoint, Someone gets hired into your team, they're going to have questions. What are mm -hmm. they? You probably know what the first, the, the top 10 are going to be. Uh, when are days off? Who do I contact about these things? Uh, where do I find information? Um, who is on, where's the org chart? Things like that. And that's where SharePoint can really just come in handy. Because yes, you can't answer these questions every time you hire someone. But if this becomes a little bit much or people are kind of getting held back by not having this information top hand, this is where you can break out a SharePoint page and just start adding them on there. If it's a team site where you know everyone's a collaborator, then you can just have a bunch of people add to this and keep make sure that content stays current on there. So that's really what that's all about. And then the way my brain worked, I just kind of took that to the uh, next degree where I said, okay, well, you can have a, an FAQ page, but what if you have a lot of questions on here? This might not, a page might not be enough. Maybe you need a knowledge base uh, set uh, where you just combine a bunch of pages together that have a lot of different information. So then that, that thought kind of spurred out into well, what if you have an intranet of frequently asked questions, all these different sites? So there's a lot of opportunity for growth. At the site level, at the department level, you can just build a page and just have all those questions in one. 
if it's not big enough or the page is just has way too many questions, you can break them up into multiple pages and tie them together on your site. You may be using just another page or adding them to your navigation, but you can do that and really start to build up your own knowledge base. And then if you're working again at the internet level, you'll probably have a lot of different sites for a lot of different departments that are going to have shared questions. So if you have a global finance team, a global HR team, global operations team, they all likely need to share some knowledge here and there. And they probably all have their own sites. Connect them together. Maybe do some hub stuff. I don't know. Uh, don't sub. Yeah, no, don't touch that sub site. Uh, you'll get your <laughs> hand slapped by Microsoft um, or Ryan or myself. Who knows? Um, but ultimately, it, there's just a lot of applications in here for this. And of course, you can just you know email them out every time you get updated. You can attach them to your team channels so they're always at your fingertips of your staff members. There's a lot of benefits here, a lot of potential because you're just putting into a SharePoint site versus you know emailing people every month or sending out chat messages every month. Just put it here. Put the information where people can find it. What about you, Mr. Ryan? What are you working on these days? Uh, you know what? I've been um, digging into Microsoft 365 Business Premium. So we've got a speaking engagement coming up later this week. And I wanted to dive into the value behind Business Premium. And so far on, on mobile, I know we've done a, a really, really great job of talking about the apps and services that come along with um, any Microsoft 365 plans could be emails, could be things like Planner and Teams, absolutely to do, um, SharePoint and OneDrive, absolutely. But there's a whole sort of subset of features, and I don't mean that to, to diminish the importance at all in Business Premium. There's a whole bunch of security-related features that you get. I don't want to say bonuses because you are paying about $28 Canadian per user per month for Microsoft 365 Business Premium. But the stuff that you get outside of the regular, let's call them office apps or productivity suite, um, you get Azure Active Directory Premium, which means you can turn on multi-factor authentication. You can do conditional access. You can really secure uh, your user identity and your user accounts. You can turn on something like Azure Information Protection and classify documents and tag documents, make policies so that um, confidential proprietary information doesn't leave your organization in a Teams chat, in a shared channel, in an email or a file share, something like that. All the way up to um, two really, really important features that are included in Business Premium, one being uh, Azure Virtual Desktop. So we have a lot of customer scenarios where they're hanging on to their server in their office for dear life because it runs some ancient application and they haven't found a cost-effective way to move it to the cloud. Azure Virtual Desktop licensing is included. There's certainly some potential there. Uh, and then Microsoft has actually recently bundled in antivirus. So desktop for Windows, Windows um, Microsoft Defender uh, for business. It is an enterprise-grade antivirus solution. I know a lot of people go, hmm, do we really want to buy antivirus from Microsoft? Yeah, it's it's a really great product. Stacks up really really well to uh, some of the more well known, you know, Nortons and Semantics and and uh, Webroots and whatnot. But that's all bundled in for twenty eight dollars and twenty cents a month. So I was doing some some work with the economics, Alex. Just to, if you had to go and buy all of these things separately, and it was like fifty bucks. It was over fifty bucks. 
um, or so it was over 45, it was close to 50 bucks of if you went and bought out all those things individually. Um, or you could get business premium. And it's one subscription, one thing to manage. Uh, again, very easy for your IT department to deploy, very, very easy for your Microsoft partner to deploy and manage centrally for $20 and 20 odd cents per user per month. So that's what I've been diving into. And I really got into the Azure Virtual Desktop and the Intune, managing devices, that security side of it. Again, we don't talk about it a lot, but there's some really fascinating capabilities that you can turn on. Enterprise grade stuff, but bringing it down to the small business. It's really cool. Yeah. You've been dipping into the sales debt, the living and breathing those sales decks uh, for the last few months, eh? Bravo, bravo. You, it's, you, uh, you pulled it off, man. You've got those <laughs> facts down pat. Split personality with me, Alex. It's like there's the sales Ryan and there's the other Ryan. And uh, sometimes it's hard for me to know which one I'm, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, why do they have to be different? Why do they have to be both? You know, you have to just kind of know who you are and just kind of, you know, accept that it's just part of your DNA. Yeah. Um, I, at least I know when to draw the line. Like when my, when my kids ask me to read them a book at nighttime, it's not, well, kids, here's the benefit of Microsoft 365 <laughs> business premium. No, I don't go that far. I can't. do the lighter reading. You do the Microsoft 360 blog post on Power on Power Platform. Yeah. Uh, so in this week, we uh, we're going to talk about APIs <laughs> and the value yeah. of uh, securing in the back ends of these web roots. Oh, no, gather around, kids. Gather around. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what products Microsoft has renamed this week. Uh. Let's talk of- about. Yeah, let's talk about something that Microsoft's killing this week. Yes. Uh, we know we're a week late to this one. Actually, died last Wednesday, but I thought you know we, there's a missed opportunity just to uh, give a moment of um, silence for the death of Internet Explorer. This is why Ryan, we're not a news organization, or we don't call ourselves yeah. journalists because we're always late to the game on our news. But it is true, and if you've been living under a rock for you know up until this very moment watching the show well well welcome from under your rock and hello you have to update your business apps probably because they are likely well they're no longer supported by microsoft and that's really what this means right uh, microsoft is not supporting internet explorer anymore for most versions of windows and windows server there are some exceptions out there limited exceptions but for the most part it's done you can still use it but it's not going to be secured anymore, which means your business apps are no longer in a place of security. So, yeah. um, you know, for a lot of reasons, transition for a lot of people that have to make this move that have these business apps running on it. We'll talk about that in a little bit and what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ryan, I just want to ask you, you know, you've, you and I have been using Internet Explorer since its heyday, since it was number one in like every category. I was watching a, a podcast time. last yeah. night and they were, they had such a dominating lead in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And then Chrome happened and, you know, Firefox poked their head in there every once in a while, Mozilla and a few others. So, you know, I don't know what happened, but it's, it's no longer, it, it just kind of lost a lot of traction as the technology uh, progressed. So, I don't know. know. Do you have any good memories of Internet Explorer? Do you have any thoughts or any last um, any last comments before we put this one to bed? 
Oh, well, first of all, I did bring a candle. I was going to light a candle for Internet Explorer. Uh, this candle actually reeks, so I'm just going to, I got to go put it at the other edge of the desk because it's, it's Scented candles are actually some of the worst things ever. It's <sighs> if you are someone who is allergic to scents like myself. Oh, sorry, buddy. <laughs> shouldn't, have, shouldn't have brought the candle to the Moho show. Um, no, best and worst memories of IE. Uh, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Everybody can probably relate to this. You get that Windows error sound, Internet Explorer has stopped working. Mm. And, you know, maybe you're chatting with your friends or maybe you were playing a game on, oh gosh, what, mini clip? Or maybe you were watching some hilarious video on E-Bombs World. Am I am I ringing? Maybe you were watching Homestar Runner, right? Am I ringing any bells for certain a certain age group here? But uh, for me... Growing up, we we lived in in a rural neighborhood, which meant we had dial up. I had dial up uh, up until, gosh, two thousand and seven or so. I was even into my first year of university studies, and I still had to do all my homework with with dial up. And so, Internet Explorer represented both that gateway to the information superhighway, but also this incredibly frustrating, just time suck of life being on dial up waiting for something to load and then potentially i.e just completely crap in the bed and crashing on you so like i say best of times worst of times and i know a lot of people just used internet explorer to go download firefox and download chrome and then they never used it again uh, and, and i hope that's not what folks are doing today with edge because edge really is really really i, I believe a, a contender really solid contender Ryan lived in such a small community, his uh, neighbors had to take turns cranking the hand pump to power their uh, dial-up modem to keep yeah. the thing running for a few hours at a time. Yeah, and you know, I have my email. Yeah. Hit the hit the generator. Oh, it's out of <laughs> gas. Um yeah, I, I you know, I grew up with Internet Explorer 2 and Netscape Navigator and all of these classic ones. It's going down with some of like our the ones we grew up with it's one of the yeah. most longest it's the longest lasting browser as far as i know um, 23 and, years 23 yeah. years yeah you know i went through a period when i grew up my house we I was fortunate enough for a couple of years we had two phone lines to um to for, one for the internet one for the you know the landline for calls and mm -hmm. when my parents got rid of that eventually uh we you know we got rid of because we got rid of our internet for a while. We got it back, but we we're using the AOL discs. And if you ever used AOL to connect to the internet, well, that was another one. It's well, one it's still around, but besides that, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible experience because you had to <laughs> use their custom browser, right? Right. So it was a breath of fresh air to load up Internet Explorer again when we finally got DSL and just could look at a web page. And then that was around the time or shortly around the time, you know, Google Chrome started kind of getting some traction in the marketplace and other browsers really starting to make a name for themselves. So eventually yeah. I did kind of move over, but that took me a while. I stuck around with Internet Explorer for a long time. The worst memories are the ones that you do in the business world, the ones that those apps that absolutely required it to run. Mm -hmm. And those are the ones where it's like, okay, now it's 2010, 2012, and I still have to use Internet Explorer for some things, not everything, but some things. And it was really starting to show its age that technology was not keeping up. It lagged behind and it only got worse from there, right? Right on. Um, and, 
and I know I know where we're going to kind of head with the with the conversation in a minute or two, but um, the good news is Microsoft made IE harder to get over the last couple of years. Certainly, Windows 10 and absolutely Windows 11, um, they made it harder to stumble into, um, confusing many users all over the place that likely relied on IE. But, but they in, in to Windows 10 still for some reason they didn't mm-hmm. really get rid of it they just kind of buried it but like some things would still require it in the back yes. end it was a weird and, relationship and and it's so likely the case with these line of business applications proprietary applications or really really big uh, distributed global applications uh, again I in in past career worked for a Fortune 500. Our inventory and sales platform was a piece of SAP software. It only ran in IE. It, it did run in Chrome, and there was a few rebels that went and did it. Uh, and there was a way to like shrink your window, or you had to zoom in and out on certain things to kind of make it work. But it worked reliably, and it was very strongly uh, advocated that you use IE. And this was only you know five six years ago. Um, yeah, I don't know if they've moved on since. I'm I'm sure, but at that point, that application and and the usage of that application was stuck in Internet Explorer. What was it? What was the technology behind it? ActiveX was that the big thing that kept it alive, and a lot of these applications were running out of. I can't remember. Could could be. I know. I know. Every browser has a browser engine, and that's how it renders the HTML and puts things on the screen. Uh, and there's been many competing technologies. Mozilla had one for years. Chrome has their uh, try. I think it's Trident. There's all sorts of different names for the rendering engine, if you will. And it wasn't until Microsoft came up with Edge that they said, well, we'll just use the most popular one and we'll kind of build Edge around that. That's where that, I think that Chromium. was. AKA Chromium. Yeah. And, and I think that was kind of that last nail in the coffin for Internet Explorer. It was old technology trying to render new web pages. Mm-hmm. And it just broke down. Yeah. And it's kind of, and that kind of like brings up another point before we just transition. That's those technologies. We're starting to see less of them in the marketplace because Internet Explorer had its own. Mozilla mm-hmm. Firefox has its own. Safari Chromium, has its own. Safari has its own. Chromium yeah. has its own. But that's Google. That's Edge. That's Brave. Mm-hmm. That's a bunch of other web browsers that are all sharing the same technically open source engine, but still sharing the same engine. So, there is a loss in the community for a diverse array of rendering engines and therefore options for people to use for their browsers, which means it just, I think that just gives Google a stronger stranglehold on the market in terms of their browser power and reach. But ultimately, you know, with Microsoft dipping their toes into this over the past five years, um, we'll have a couple other major players to help, you know, keep it from all being Google Chrome. Now we right. have other people to kind of contribute to that and help make sure that product stays a bit more open, I hope. At least yeah. that's my that's my hope anyways. I mean, think about you, you can buy, I don't know, 18 different brands of TV, but you plug them in to a wire and, and they all display the same picture from your cable box. How the internet traffic gets to your cable box is, is the way it is. It's a standard. And I, I really don't have a problem with there being, you know, internet standards for rendering engines and things like that. Um, it's no different than I'm sure there's standards for vehicles being on the road, but you can have a pink car, you can have a blue car, you can have a truck, you could have a sedan, um, you can style it differently. And I think that is now the difference between edge and Chrome, uh, and even Firefox to some extent and, and Safari. Yes. Um, sorry, Apple folks is 
you know, you're still getting the internet and you're getting it in a standardized way. It's just all of the other features that go around it. Like last week on Future versus Future, you showed us uh, collections in Edge. You know, maybe that's a competitive advantage for Edge or that's a feature that someone wants and it'll make them use Edge over uh, Chrome. Mm -hmm. And then we're starting to see a lot of different uh, browsers that are using Chromium to kind of yep. separate themselves with those little features that they bake in their browser that instead mm -hmm. of using the engine itself. So we'll see where this goes in the next, you know, many years and see if this ends up being forked out or if things get tightened up and a little bit less. And we hopefully I just I hope we don't lose variety. That's the main thing. Right. But let's, let's do a little transition here. Let's talk about. Let's talk about not only the death of Internet Explorers, but the death of probably still a lot of legacy business apps. And this is something that a lot of us have had to deal with over the last several years, where a lot of these business apps that we've been using that run in Internet Explorer need to be updated and replaced. Microsoft's been touting this horn for many years, saying, hey, you know, it's going to stop. We're going to end it. We're going to end it. Kept trying to get people to upgrade their apps or replace them entirely. Mm -hmm. And with this transition, you know, you know, hopefully if you're in that position, your transition was easy. Maybe you're able to run Internet Explorer, um, your your legacy apps in Edge using the Internet Explorer mode. And let me just share my screen really quickly because there is like a whole section on this by Microsoft. It's yeah. a real thing. I'm not even making this up. And your mileage may vary just as a quick disclaimer on on Your IE mileage mode. may vary for sure. So yeah, Microsoft uh, Microsoft Edge, so the one that's now based on Chromium, um, does have an Internet Explorer mode. So you can technically, and I have not tested this myself, and I have no intentions of testing this. So you know, do your homework. Um, but if you have a business app that needs to run an IE, you can try this out as a short-term solution, a stopgap measure buy you maybe a few weeks maybe a few months if the in the best case scenario until you can make plans and start executing on what you're going to transition into so you've got two options then you either rebuild it in power platform if you're assuming you're a microsoft 365 subscriber you you've got the whole network and suite of tools to build your own custom apps that will run an edge that will be supported for a long time and give you a lot more and there's a lot more variety and abilities in there your your second option is to go off the shelf and that's where you pay someone else to you pay for someone else's solution you'll do maybe some customization bring it into your environment but basically you're taking someone else's expertise someone else's product and putting it in your environment and there is a trade-off with either version with either method you go through because mm -hmm. with custom apps you got to decide if you're going to well and you, we're going to talk about that a little bit but let's just kind of get into a bit of a discussion on kind of one why should we be building? Why should someone actually build their own solution? Or B, why should someone build off the shelf? Off the shelf. Oh, I'm going to struggle with that for some reason. <laughs> so Ryan, what do you think? Why should someone, why would a business opt to build their own solution versus going off the shelf? Uh, so a couple of things come to, to my mind. If you, um, if the shelf is small, uh, or if you cannot find, if your business needs are so specific, uh, I would say build it and, and they will come. Um, again, 
everybody knows me and everybody knows my love for power platform. Uh, everybody knows that I'm a, a pretty big proponent of, you know, what they call citizen developers, right? Um, picking up power platform to, to build a power app, um, to build an app that sits inside of teams is, is kind of a reality is not that far fetched. You don't need to write code in many cases to build at least a compelling application. Now it's going to depend on your business needs. I think the other thing is, is time to solution. Um, and that would be a, a really big uh, decision point for an organization between if we build it, it's going to take six months or a year or shorter or longer. If we go and get it off the shelf, you know, we need to tweak a few settings and we can deploy and, and, you know, start training and start using. So uh, again, off the shelf, I believe we'll always trump custom development for time and speed, you know, speed to solution. Uh, that said, I think you got to really do that soul searching needs analysis to see, does this off the shelf thing do what we want? If we only need five features and it does 20, can we grow into those remaining features? Or are we going to be paying for something that we don't need? So that brings up another sort of decision point is what does the budget look like? Um, do you have the dollars to uh, spend on the time to develop your own, whether you do it in-house or you pay a, a, a development firm to do so? Uh, or is the off-the-shelf option way out of uh, you know your budget where custom dev or using some of the tools inside of 365, uh, that option may make sense as well. So let's let's take a step back then because you hit on a couple of key points. So when it comes to picking, if you're gonna build something off, like build something yourself, you, like you said, you, you're gonna need a good runway of time between the development, the pilot testing, the revisions, the training, the rollout. These are and you know these steps I'm actually describing are, are going to apply to an off-the-shelf solution first. The mm -hmm. difference is when you're building your own solution. We've got to have a team of people that are actually capable of it. You can't just have one developer like we did in the 90s because what did that, where did that get us? Well, where you are now. You have one developer that left the industry years ago or just kind of, you know, they're, they're done, they're gone. You can't find them again. You've lost your support. Yeah. And ultimately, you got to make a decision. Like, you know, if you're going to build your own, your, your own solution, you got to be able to support it support. in the long run, which means documentation, which means you're going to have to have a team of people that are trained mm -hmm. on this regularly. So you got to have an internal team of people that can support your technology. That's the first challenge, in my opinion. Who is going to be responsible for this? IT, another team, maybe a combination of them because IT is always busy. You can't just throw everything at IT because it's software. Um, so you have to have that group of people that are going to support it. The other part of building your own solution is the long-term maintenance of it. If you want to make changes to it in the long-term, what does that process look like? Mm -hmm. If you need to add, add fields, remove fields, change change how data is entered, change and update your reporting, those are all things to consider in terms of how, how well is this going to scale up or scale down with your business because we live in 2022 right and things need to be able to go up or down. Because um, we all know most applications can scale up. But when you scale up and your business starts going a little slower and you want to scale back a bit, that system's probably designed for a certain amount of productivity and a certain amount of users required to support it. So you got to think about 
what if I don't have a team of 10 in, you know, five years? Maybe it's going to be a team of five. How is a team of five going to support this app? And what's that going to look like? Be ready for those conversations and just kind of things to consider. Um, so those are just some of the bigger challenges. Just building your own solution is the not only the initial creation of it and having a team of people, but the long-term support of it and the documentation. you got to have documentation. Please write things down, people. <laughs> and I would take one step even even uh, just further back, and, and this just popped into my mind while you were talking about that and the, the team and being able to support if that sounds so foreign to your business model or the way your organization works, um, you may be a nonprofit, you may be in healthcare or education. Again, you just don't have that capacity and you don't think you ever will. Again, if it's just so out of the realm of how you go to market and do the things you do, look to someone else, look to someone who has the expertise either to help you find that off the shelf product or to to build something um, custom to your environment. That all said, if the app that you're considering is the heartbeat, it's the nerve center, it is the brains of your operation. If you're an operation that sells something, likely it's your CRM and invoicing softwares that are the most important line of business apps. Be very, very careful about taking on custom dev on those again if it runs your business if it's your electronic health records if it's the way you build curriculum and teach your students if it's the way you collect donations uh, from your community for those that you support through your charitable organization again be very careful if it is your core line of business if it is the heartbeat the circulatory yep. system just back up and get be someone that will careful <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, there's, that's kind of, and that's a big conversation to have because ultimately mm -hmm. if you've been using a custom solution, but it's, you'll probably find out pretty quickly how well that thing is going to scale up with your business and how well right it's on. going to be supported. That's when you start looking at those off the shelf solutions, because you're not only getting the product, you're buying someone else's expertise in how to customize it, how mm -hmm. to use it and the ongoing support. So right. I mentioned before, as you're kind of making these decisions and looking at the roadmap of conception, purchase, and deployment, you're going to be customizing this thing to make your business work. I've been through a number of um, these types of projects where we kind of evaluate different um, enterprise applications, do a bunch of testing before we've even made a purchase. It's a really, you know, I don't know. I thought it was kind of a fun exercise to like try all these different products and see where, yeah. you know, how you could break it. Um, but ultimately, it. yeah, you, after you've made that purchase, you've made that decision and the real work begins. Um, my only recommendation is know your processes inside mm -hmm. and out because that's what you're going to be building on, which means if you don't understand how, you know, your product goes from, someone ordering it to get getting out the door and all the little steps in between, especially if you have a big or like a facility of a lot of different hands, a lot of different expertise and understanding how people interact with them and that whole pipeline, you're going to struggle. You're really going to struggle unless you have a solid understanding of that process. Mm -hmm. In that case, if you don't get out a whiteboard or get out a Visio chart and start writing it down and map it out with the people that understand the process, because that's going to be your, brain that is going to be your blueprint of how you how you're going to bring this into your 
bring your new system into this organization. And you know, you'll make some changes, you'll make some edits, but ultimately you'll end up with a pretty solid product. If you've done your homework, if you've done the prep and you've done the testing, you'll end up with a really solid product that you can actually start to grow and scale with. But again, don't always, and the last little piece on that is don't really expect that to things to go smoothly when you start rolling out these products, whether it's custom built or off the shelf. There's no perfect, I've never seen a perfect rollout of any software. It doesn't exist in my mind. You can throw it in your organization, not tell anyone and just see if people pick it up. You can put it out there and just like, hey, we've got, <laughs> you know, Microsoft Teams, everyone figure it out. No, we're, we're productive, right? doesn't happen go. like that. No. Because you got to do training. You got to yes. test. You got to do revisions and you've got to follow it all the way through beyond the initial launch date to make sure things are working and things are moving smoothly. It takes weeks or months for the dust to settle after the mm-hmm. initial kickoff date, in my experience. Um, I'm sure we've all got our horror stories of this one, obviously, but yeah. Um, one, one other thought too, just uh, again, another one cropped in my mind as you're, as you're working through that is, um, volume and we talked scale i think scale can be different than volume and and true story true story we get approached all the time on our team hey can you make this using planner and and forms and power automate and sharepoint lists and yeah you know the answer is usually yeah we we take a crack at it but we always ask about volume and always consider volume Um, an example recently was building some automation around applicant tracking uh, or ATS, applicant tracking systems. There's tons of them off the shelf. Uh, and so the conversation with the client, with the clients uh, sort of came to, well, how many applications do you get? And it was hundreds in a month, uh, you know, dozens in a week. And we said, well, yeah, but, um, you know, that may push the limits of, of what we can do inside of, of Power Platform. Uh, certainly can do it, but it might get unruly and just gross to deal with. So again, in that case, recommendation was, hey, see what's on the shelf. And if nothing does it for you over there, then we'll we'll resume this conversation. Uh, mm-hmm. Again, if, you, so you're, if talking you're gonna- about stress testing. Stress, te- if you're gonna run a flow every 10 seconds or every five milliseconds again that that volume is just going to catch up with you and there's likely going to be breakdowns or or errors or it's just going to run out of runway at some point yeah so like that kind of all in my mind kind of falls under that scale pipe that scale kind of moniker mm-hmm. you use you've got scale of um how much data you're collecting at a given time on a given day how much data you're going to have in a given year and how much how well those processes are going to change and cannot grow with your business again or shrink. Um, so you're right. It's one of those things where a database, a proper application that is using databases will always be more efficient and more robust than, you know, using a SharePoint list or an Excel spreadsheet to kind of capture this data in the long term. If you're doing something smaller scale, you know, you got maybe a couple dozen entries in the given month in a given week, no problem. That can handle it, I, I would yeah. say. Again, yeah. test, stress yeah. test. Put it put it through its paces and see where it breaks because you might be surprised where something might, you know, kind of fall apart in your process if you don't do your testing. And you don't want to do that when it's in a production environment. So again, it's just do your homework, <laughs> folks. And and your business is relying on it and people need to, you know, you need to make the sale or you need to ship the order or you need to do that thing. 
so that you mm-hmm. you can turn the lights on tomorrow. Absolutely. Okay, so let's let's summarize this uh, the few key takeaways for the audience. So um, first, if you're looking to replace an old legacy app, ask yourself, can this scale up or down with my business from year to year? And next, can the solution scale or sorry, do you have the staff resources to own the solution? From if you're gonna build custom, do you have the developers on staff that can build it? and support it from year to year to year. Repairs, upgrading, downgrading, whatever it is, you need to have that knowledge in-house all of the time, not just for the initial launch. If you're thinking you just hire a couple of attempts to do it and call it a day and think that some you know job aids will solve the problem in terms of training and legacy over time, no. You're going to be hiring someone at some point to solve this again. So if you're going to do your own internal one, make sure you have the staff resources available. Um, Next, another key takeaway. How quickly do you need this implemented? We mentioned at the beginning of the segment, the path to from the development or the concept to the launch of the solution is largely going to be the same, whether you're creating it yourself or buying it off the shelf. You got to evaluate early on. You need to do the customizations. You need to pilot. You need to test, stress test. And then you got to do your rollout and training and the post support whether it's off the shelf or not, you need to follow those steps in a largely, and they're largely the same. And the last key point I want to point out is um, government regulations. If you're dealing Mm. with confidential records, if you're dealing with medical records or anything that might be subject to government regulations, should you be maintaining that data, that that information in your own system? in your own custom system. Do you, can you for sure say that your system is solid and secure to meet regulations, to meet that scrutiny and be audited? If yeah, you're not prepared to do that, off the shelf, go off the yeah. shelf. Don't even cross that line. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. any, any type of ISO certification, any type of industry standards, any type of government, yeah. you know, regulatory uh, approvals that you need to meet, you're, you're right. Um, and that, that's a really good way to weed out the the also ran software developers and then the off shelf off the shelf solutions versus the one that really understand your market your vertical the place that your organization is ask them about standards ask them yeah. about regulatory needs regulatory well, chances are they'll have answers to questions you haven't even thought of yet yeah do your homework absolutely cool. right speaking of homework homeless. yeah speaking yeah. of homework we did some homework uh, and um, we've, we've got a colleague here. I'm going to give uh, you a, bra- a B plus for that segue. <laughs> hey, hey. Uh, we've got a colleague here on our team that lo- has coined the phrase, data tells a story. If I look at the data here from last week, feature versus feature, I would say that the data says Alex and I both have the same uh, same sized fan base and they're voting <laughs> equally. So it is another week of draw or tie on feature versus feature. So no score change. And we can see that uh, OneNote in Teams stacks up right alongside collections in Microsoft Edge. So a draw, my friend, a draw. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning into this audio-only version of the Mobile Show. If you want to see the full episode, including demo segments such as Watch and Learn or Feature versus Feature, Make sure you check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Team Mobile. We'll have links for you in the episode description. Take care.